Now, you might recall last week, Football Australia announcing that one of the game's holy grails, the soccer or football ashes, had been found after years of searching. The trophy, a box made of traditional Australian and New Zealand wood containing a razor case, which houses the remains of cigars smoked by the two captains of the teams in the first ever meeting between the two countries back in 1922, had been missing for over 70 years. Football historians Trevor Thompson and Ian Sison were among the first to get to see the trophy, which is rather fitting as they'd spent many years looking for it. And Ian joins us on the line now. Uh, I think you're in Vietnam at the moment, aren't you, Ian? What are you doing over there? I, I am I am Simon. I'm uh, I'm having a, a break, and, but I'll, I'll come back refreshed. Lovely. To, uh, to resume my work on the soccer index. Good man, good man. So why is this trophy so important for the game of football in Australia and New Zealand, of course? Well, it's important because it's it, it's for two reasons. It's it's a it's a trophy that was struck. Do you strike wooden trophies? It was a trophy that was struck um, in in nineteen twenty three to to be um, the, the prize for international supremacy between the two nations on an ongoing basis. But it also so that's its significance in that way. But it's also significant in that it represents a history of Australian and New Zealand soccer commitment to the Australian Armed Forces mm. and uh, the participation in the war. Mm. And I think that the, the, the trophy as a relic, of uh, containing a relic of Gallipoli, is, is incredibly significant in that way. Uh, Ian, you've uh, discussed this with me uh, at length on several occasions. Now, you think World War One is very significant for the game of football in Australia. There, there are a couple of theories yeah. as to whether it actually made the game of football in Australia or actually yeah. broke it. And you're in the latter camp. Yeah. Is that correct? Explain why. Well, I'm actually, I used to be in the latter camp. Oh. Now I'm in the why not both camp. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I, I'm in the latter camp. You're an agnostic. <laughs> the game is <laughs> just confused. Um, <laughs> The uh, in 1912, the game around Australia has this massive upsurge my, on the back of migration and also native players, and uh, it, it just booms and booms and booms over those two years, and then 1914 just cuts it off at the knees, and you've got a, you've got a hell of a lot of soccer players going to to the war, and uh, many of them dying and come, all coming back incapacitated. And but, but that I, happened I to the other codes as well, Ian, didn't it? That happened to the other codes as well. So why was it? Why was that problematic it, it, for football? Well, because we, as a game, I say we, it certainly wasn't me, but as a game, we were probably just as or more committed than than any other. I, I, I leave rugby as aside because rugby really struggled. With its commitment to law, but the other, the main codes, uh, rugby league and Australian rules, weren't so committed, especially at the professional levels. Mm. Whereas soccer just went over holus bolus. Now I have I have modified my position because I, I've you know been thinking about what happened after the war. So if you want to ask me about that, mm. or are you happy with? No, no, no. Carry on. Said, so. <laughs> yeah. No, carry on. Go on. Yeah. Well, give us your give so, us your enlightenment, Ian. <laughs> yeah, well, so that's what I was thinking. That's what I thought for a long time. Soccer really struggled because of the war, 
you know, as other codes did, but you know, not at the professional level. Now, um, after the war, all of those clubs that I I thought you know sacrificed a great deal surged, mm. and I'm thinking, why is this? Like Northumberland and Durham, 22 of its players went to war. You know, half a dozen were killed. It came back and fielded a team completely made up of diggers um, after the war. Um, Claremont in Perth, about 60 of its players went, 18 were killed. And you think, well, that's just going to rip the guts out of the club. They were premiers in um, 2020 and 23, I think, in Perth. And so it, it, it runs against my previous assumption. Mm. And what I'm seeing is that Participation in war gave these clubs, some of the clubs at least, a kind of impetus, a mm -hmm. pride, a satisfaction of having been part of a, a greater um, enterprise. Interesting. Okay, Broski, go on. Yeah, I do have a, a question, Ian. Look, I, I'm a, I love all these stories, and, and I think when you look at you talk about other codes, I think they do it so well that they, they're able to remember their history. And, um, look, I had no idea about this trophy or that there was anything like this until I saw the story, and it completely, you know, fascinated me and I'm sure a lot of other people. But I, I guess is it indicative of the game struggled to remember itself that, you know, the family were unaware not, not only of the trophy's existence but of the centenary of the fixture that it was created for last year? I think uh, there's an interesting story to be told about the Story family. Um, uh, Trevor Thompson's um, argument or speculation is that um, Sid Story basically hid the trophy away from the new powers that were in soccer in the, in the 50s. He thought they weren't going to care about it, and so he actually withdrew it from circulation, so to speak. And so in 1958, when Sid's story was very much alive, the the uh, the series wasn't didn't they didn't play for the Ashes. Now, Sid's story's son, I don't think cared about the game. I don't think he, he was bothered. And his grandson, um, who was the one who discovered the trophy after his father died, um, probably you know had a sense of what was right and what was wrong in relation to this, and so it conformed. Um, the authorities or Football Australia. So it's, I can't remember exactly what your question was, Alex, but what, what I'm saying is that it's the reason for the trophy's absence is, is really complicated. It's mm. not really um, what, what you suggested. Okay. You're at, anyway. um, Ian, well, let me ask you the same question in a slightly different way. You wrote a seminal book, and I, I've referred to this on several occasions uh, in articles in the past called The Game That Never Happened, The Vanishing History of Soccer in Australia. Why are we so bad generally at remembering and celebrating our past? What's, what's the reason for it? Well, it's twofold. And one is outside forces. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tick that off straight away. Outside forces aren't interested in our game, seeing our game as a local product. Um, it's something that's foreign and is not even interesting. It's not Australian. Um, but, you know, if we were strong enough internally, that wouldn't matter. And internally, we have, we have problems of division, problems of rancor, problems of refusal to honour the past. Because honouring the past means that the things that you're, you're trying to achieve 
in the present will contradict what, what's gone on in the past. So you've got clubs rightfully complaining about the way their traditions have been smashed, mm. uh, whose clubs were based on smashing other traditions. <laughs> and so they're like the pharaohs, killing all the servants, you know? Yeah. Um, everything goes, everything gets thrown out. See, the, there's, a, mean, I'm really cynical. there's a movie in this. Why is nobody interested in making a movie in the story of football or soccer, whatever you want to call it, in Australia? It's yeah, the yeah. most fascinating story, and it tells the story of Australia as a nation going through yeah, yeah, not only does. the wars, but yeah, also does. that mass migration in the 50s, which mm. uh, you know brought about the big boom of, of soccer in, in the 1950s and 60s as well. Now, obviously... We would love to tell it, well, Ian, and we would love yeah. to tell it as, yeah. as football people. Uh, my next question was going to be yeah. the holy, the next holy grail. Now that we've found this one, is a football museum. Um, do, do you think we'll ever get yeah. it? Um, no. <laughs> but I said that about the Ashes. I said that when I was being interviewed. No, we'll never yeah. find it. And then, then these horrible men plonked them right in front of me and made me react back, react the way I did. Um, that was that was a, a very funny moment, but I was I was ambushed in the nicest possible way. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we'll we'll ever get a museum. We might have to rethink the idea of what a museum is. We, you know, it's what I do think is the, that there should be a glass case in the foyer of football Australia, a big glass case, and the ashes should be sitting in there. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's like a a halfway house of. Um, towards a museum, but yeah, we need it. We need an actual museum. I'm not sure where, uh, for all sorts of reasons. I think Newcastle would be the best place. Yes, one of the, um, the cradles of the game in, in the early years. Um, Ian, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there because the, the clock has beaten us, and it's such an interesting discussion. Uh, my apologies. Uh, thanks for talking to us tonight, Ian, on the Global Game. We will continue this discussion, you and I, uh, off-piste okay. and for an article. Thanks, mate. Thanks, okay. mate. Appreciate it. Okay. See you, Alex. Bye-bye. That's uh, football historian Ian Sison about uh, the discovery of the soccer ashes. It's absolutely fascinating, that tale. And wouldn't it be great if we remembered our history a little bit better? Off to a quick break. On the other side of it, we'll talk to Spencer Pryor about the Premier League.